Welcome to our weekly Mimimin, weekly Wednesday night Shir. These are Nishmas and Baruch Halevi Ben Yudha and Amelia Basara. The Nishamas have a have an idea. May they pray in the stead and their part for their children and their family that are here in this world, and may they ultimately bring about the Mashiach Tzitkenu, welcome Atlanta, welcome Scranton, and all those that are, pub- that are present. This week, we're going to have a regular Pasha Haftorah. How exciting, for those that keep track of that. We have this week two Pashas, Tazriya and Metzera, in Atzeno Hagdeshe in the Holy Land, they read Zim last week. So we are obviously not with them. They are now doing Achimetz Kedeshim. We will catch up eventually. Um, this week we are doing, as is Achimetz Kedeshim, and as is Pedic Sheni and Pirke Oves, Mirza Hashem which we'll hopefully get to a mission in Pekiovitz as well. And, of course, as we usually do in the course of Svira, a quip, a word, something from Sechta Seita, as we learn Daf Yem on Svira, for Sechta Seita to finish to complete by Shavuos. And of course, let's look at the dates. You can extend the happy birthday to my son tonight. Today was the birthday of my grandson. And all the other birthdays that took place today and tomorrow, etc. Happy birthday to all of you. Bay's ear. Bay's ear. Thank you. Okay, I was I was scared you were going to say something else. Thank God that's all you said. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you later. Bay's ear is, of course, the Yemelada Sadreb Marash, the fourth Kabad Rebbe. And his motto, as the Rebbe very, very eloquently always put it, is Lachatkila Riber. Some people try to go first sideways and under, etc. And then, if not, try to go over it. The Rebbe Marash's motto was the Chathila Ribe. To begin with, go above, go over. Don't bother. Don't try. Don't allow yourself to be hindered with trials or tribulations, with being boxed in or being boxed out or blocked off. Don't allow anything to get in your way. The Chathila Ribe. You go over it. And you'll get through it. Tazriya Mitzayla, two very, very strong parshas with very strong messages. Very well brought up. 
Right, we have an international uh, proclamation. Um, interesting, Tazria, Isha ki Tazria viol bezachar, a woman that will become pregnant and will have a child, a boy. So the parsha is called Tazria, which is making reference to birth, making reference to growth, to planting. And ironically, we only have literally the first few psukim discussing that topic, and the rest goes into the Mitzayra. And the different dinim of Mitzayra, of the leper, of becoming impure, the impurity of a house becoming impure going on in Mitzayra, etc., which we'll hopefully try to get into somewhat. What is the lesson to us? When the Pasha begins, Isha Kisazia Violda Zachar. The Tata says that Achaim Akadish explains in a deeper way. Achaim Akadish says this is a hint to Am Yisrael, to the Jewish nation, and its redemption. We know when the Almighty married the Jewish nation on Har Sinai, the Almighty being the man in Knesset Israel, the Jewish nation, the woman. Sazria to plant. This is the physical labor that one must apply themselves with. Doing Maisim Tev Mitzvahs. And then ultimately, by planting, we reap the old Zachar, which is reference to the birth of the redemption. The last redemption of the last exile, which we are about to experience any moment, is made reference to in masculine form. showing strength, showing vigor. And because of that, it will be perpetual. And after that, there will never be another exile. And this is what the Medrash tells us. There were nine shiris, nine songs of praise that were sung in reference to miracles that happened to occur that occurred to the Jews. Each one of them is referred to in feminine. Because ultimately afterwards there was still another exile. The Shira the Lasid, the tenth Shira is mentioned in Lashan Zakhar and masculine. Shiru Hashem Shir Chadosh. Not Chadosha, Shir Chadosh. Because at that point, there will never, ever be another exile. 
Why is Klal Yisrael compared to a woman? Let's understand the name Isha. Adam Arishin. Adam. Adam Arishin, yeah. Known as Adam in the books. Called his wife Chava Isha. Why do you call her Isha? Because Me'ish Lukochazes. This was taken from a man. The name Isha makes direct reference to the connection, the yearning to the man. And same is spiritually. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is called the man, as we know, Hashem Ish Milchama. If you're keeping score at home, Sechta Seita, it'll be later, Amen Beis, Amen Beis, 42 side 2. Knesset Yisrael are taken from Hashem, of course, as we know, being a chedek alikamim al mamish, and therefore are called Isha. This kinui, this nickname, makes reference to the chuka of Am Yisrael to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, the yearning that the Jewish nation has to attach themselves to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As we spoke last week, the yearning needs to be two-way, it needs to be going to want to connect, and then of course to return to this world, unlike the sons of Aaron. But a Jew, in his previous Hanefesh, in his inner soul, he wants to be one with God. All the different boundaries and all the different physicalities. This doesn't hinder the person. This doesn't hold the person back. Even the spiritual concepts in his life don't satisfy this yearning how close he wants to become with God. Because this is the source of his neshama tehira, of his holy neshama. But in order to bring about this chukah, to conf- to fulfill this yearning, we need to come about with the concept of sazria, isha ki sazria. Sazria zria, planting needs to be done in the ground. You can't plant a seed in the air. I don't want anyone to come up with any kind of scientific experiments that they planted air tomatoes or, or air cucumbers or something of the sort that didn't have anything to do with earth and you were able to grow it and therefore they have no bugs and they have no... They don't have to be checked. Vinomara, main. Um, no, it's not, it's not for me this whole story. I know... <laughs> There's a comedian, Yankel Smirnov, who was a Russian comedian, who was very fascinated by America. He never, everything was what a country. And he came into the supermarket, 
and he sees a bag, flat bag, and it says potato powder. And he says, what's potato powder? He says, potatoes are bold, they're round, they're big, they're bulky. How can it be potato powder? And he asked the sales clerk, and the sales clerk tells him, you mix it with water and it becomes potatoes, mashed potato, whatever. He says, what a country. He goes to the next aisle and he sees milk powder. He said, I don't understand milk you drink. It's liquid. What is this powder? So they told him again, you mix it with water and you have milk. It saves, it stays longer, it's easier to store. He says, what a country. And the next aisle of the supermarket, he almost fainted. Because he saw a big, beautiful blue and white container that said baby powder. (laughs) He says, what a country. He, so therefore when we're talking about planting, planting has to be done on the ground. Don't make me any scientific experiments. You plant, you plant something in the ground. In order for it to grow, you have to put it in the ground, you have to nurture it, you have to water it, you have to, all the things that have to be done, you have to weed it. The same thing is spiritual planting. It needs to be done with something physical. When you plant spirituality, it needs to be done through a physical mitzvah. And this way the mitzvah is bepeil. The Jew is going to come and he's going to say, keeping score at home, Zigimara in Sanhedrin, Kuvvava Medbez, Rachmar boy. the Almighty knows what's in my heart. I'm a Jew at heart. Once told somebody, I came to put on, I said, read, put on and he says, I'm a Jew at heart. I said, I don't know how to tell you this. I said, make a fist. So he makes a fist. And I said, you see this fist that you have, sir? That's how big your heart is. You know how big Judaism is? You think that little heart could hold all that Judaism? you got to get yourself another idea. But we say, let the Almighty see my attentions. All the great thoughts that I have. And let Him bring them to fruition. Make what you want of it. You're taking my physical mitzvahs you want, and you want to make that into something grandiose. Take my thoughts and use my thoughts. What do you want from my mind? What do you want from my work? What are you making me busy? And I could have a lot of different kavanas. I could have a lot of different thoughts. I could take a whole train of thought. In addition, sometimes doing person sees a poor person on the street and he hears the poor man saying please give me some money for food if you don't trust me with your money give me food I'm starving and the man gets full of compassion and he's so sad for the man and he says and he thinks to himself I'm going to give you food my tatala but he doesn't give it to him. He just thinks about it. I don't know how to tell you this. That poor man is going to go to sleep hungry. That's no way of feeding somebody. 
He did nothing. You need to go and physically do the mitzvah, give the man either money or food or something to go and to get himself to eat. You can't rely on thinking about it. This is the concept of Zriya, of Tazriya. And therefore from this we plant and things can grow. We plant physically our mitzvahs through toil. This planting ultimately reaps the geula, redemption. The yolda zachar. Through applying oneself on doing mitzvahs, maizis, bepel mamish, without thinking, without having any other different kavanis, any other great thoughts. He brings these kavanas and these feelings through a bit, through involvement. This he's bringing Mashiach closer. He's bringing about the birth and the redemption, the Gula Mitzvah Hashtema. And on a more personal basis, to enumerate it better, through the many different things that one does, the physical things, they bring about the birth of Mashiach, the Nisham of Mashiach, which this is the highest possible level, from the male world, the world of, of the concept of male world, the Maimir, brought down in Zaya, like it says in Chsidus, and came to Yelano because of Mamish, that we should merit to see just that. Sometimes, I'll take a cup of water. Sometimes we don't realize when we say or do something to somebody. Or when we don't do. The story of a chassid of Hashem HaKadosh that was very wealthy. Thank you very much. Why did this freeze? Whoops. of the Balsham HaKadosh who was very very wealthy and one day saw his wealth dwindling and he had no idea why he could not make a good decision he could not make a proper investment. 
nothing was going right. He saw that literally he was losing his fortune. He came to the Baal Shem HaKadosh. And he told the Baal Shem Tov, this year is going to be at least two parts in the video, because it just cut off before I have no idea why. Um, and he came to the Baal Shem Tov to bemoan his loss of his monetary lifestyle. And the Baal Shem Tov said, Think about it, my friend. Have you insulted somebody lately? Have you hurt somebody lately? It's me? No? Well, Shabbat tells him, six months ago, my friend, six months ago you were in shul, uh, sorry, well, Shabbat asked him, do you have a snuff box? The video is having a catastrophe today. It keeps freezing. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, I don't know what it's saying. He said, do you have a snuff box? He tells him, yes. So Bashemta says to him, so he takes the snuff box out of his pocket, a beautiful gold ornate snuff box. And he wants to offer some to the Bashemta. Maybe the Bashemta wanted snuff. And the Bashemta says to him, No, my friend. Six months ago, you were sitting in shul. And you're a very wealthy man, so you have all your wealthy friends, your circle of friends. And you were all sitting around and talking. And of course, as you would always do, you took out your snuff box to offer. And you offered your friends some snuff. Now this is a catastrophe. You offered your friends some snuff and they All took. And everybody was enjoying your snuff. And there was a poor man standing in the shul. Off to the side. And the poor man saw that your snuff box was open for people to take. And he started to make his way to you. To get some snuff. But you neglected. And you didn't give him. You saw him coming. You closed it right away. You closed it right away. And you put it away. And you embarrassed him. You embarrassed him something terrible. And he says to the Bashemta, what do you mean? He's going to come take my snuff. 
He's going to try to mix into our conversation. He's not now a circle. He's not now a ranks. The Bashemtiv said, "You're paying dearly for this mistake, my friend." In heaven they saw what you did and they decided that all your money is going to go to him. Everything you own is going to him. You're going to lose everything and he's going to make it all. And ironically, they heard in the streets that this town beggar disappeared for a while I had no idea where he was and ultimately the town beggar indeed resurfaces as a rich man the chassid started to cry and said to the Bashem how do I repent how do I possibly get back my money and the Bashem said there's only one way you can get back your money If you go to the poor man, if you go to this now rich man, and you ask him for snuff, and he refuses to give you, then the money will revert back to you. And he asked Bashanta, what happens if he does give me? <laughs> Shanta said, very simple. If he gives you, he won't lose the money. Well, Chassid was no fool. He decided he's going to go, he's going to find an opportune time when he can go to this rich man, ask him for snuff, and fool him into, give, into not giving him And lo and behold, a short while later, beautiful news was heard that the rich man, Yaakov, whatever his name was, the now rich man, was making a wedding. His daughter was to be wed. Baruch Hashem, a big simcha. And this man decided this is going to be the opportune time for him. And he waited for the day of the wedding. And at the wedding, he waited for the highest, most special moment. He waited for after the breaking of the glass under the chuppah. And as they broke the glass under the chuppah, Everybody screamed Mazel Tov. And everybody jumped to wish the Chassan and the family Mechitan and Mazel Tov. As everybody was standing there and hugging, tapping each other on the shoulders, patting each other on the backs, this Chassid walked over to the rich man 
and said to him, excuse me, excuse me, can you give me some snuff? And the rich man says to him, one, turns away, turns his back on him. And he turns away, and the man is very excited, because he says, no, he's not going to give me. He's not going to give me, because why would he give me now, middle of everything? He's not going to give me, and I will get back my riches. Well, he turned around only to tell the person he was talking to, one minute please. This man wants some snuff. Imagine, my friends, a balsimcha under his son's chuppah, under his daughter's chuppah, is stopping the world to give this poor man some snuff. Some shmek tabak. And he turns back around with the snuff box very welcomingly. Poor man sees this, the chassid. He grabs his head and he faints. States that everybody was going crazy. What happened? What's going on? They took him off to another room, and they were dealing with his malady. And the poor man lying there faint finally wakes up and starts to cry terrible. In the meantime, the rich man came into the room to see what's going on, what happened to this poor man. And the poor man tells him his story. He tells him, I don't know if you remember, you were once a poor man. And as a poor man, you asked me for snuff. And unfortunately, I refused you. And he tells him the whole story, how in heaven the decree was broken, was put upon him, and he lost all his money and he got it. And there was a test now. If he would have said no to giving him snuff now, then all the money would have reverted back to him. But he says, and he starts to cry bitterly, you passed the test, and you did offer me snuff. And therefore I will never ever see any money again. I will have to remain poverty, poverty stricken. The rich man heard this tale and remembered the story. He remembered the embarrassment well, oh too well. And he says to the man, my friend, don't, don't you worry. Don't you worry. I will take care of you. I will give you a home to live. I will give you a job. I will give you Parnassah. You will never suffer again in poverty. This shows how a person needs to 
involve themselves in mitzvahs. We can't just think about doing a mitzvah, but how we need to physically bring the mitzvah into fruition, do the mitzvah so that it's physically done on the world, so that Hashem has the actual planted mitzvah, the sazria. Once it is planted on the world, then the person can reap from the remains of the mitzvah. The Yomara tells us, we talk about this week, the, the Mitzvah, the Lepe. It's just it's getting later now. And we need to cover more ground. The Yomara tells us, if you're keeping score at home, Sech Sanhedrin, Tzadik Ches Amir Aleph, 98, side 1. A conversation between Eliyahu Anavi and Yeshua Ben Levi. Asking where is Mashiach. Now Leonavi tells Yeshua, Mashiach can be found at the entrance of the city of Rome. According to some different forms of the text, he's sitting with the poor and the sickly. According to some, he's sitting with the Mitzrayim. The Gemara elaborates that he found the group of Mitzrayim and he found one Mitzrayim, one leper that had unfortunately boils all over the body and he was different than the others. All the other lepers would take their wounds, all their bandages and take them all off at once and then put their creams on their ointments, and then put back on all the bandages. There's one particular leper that didn't do that. He took off one bandage from one wound, put on his cream, and then covered it. Took off another bandage and put on his cream and covered it. And as he kept doing that, this intrigued Abishur ben Levi. And he asked him, why do you do differently than all the others? And this man now knew, obviously, that his guise of Mashiach was discovered. He actually told him that he heard that he was Mashiach. And so he told, he asked him, why do you do differently than everyone else? And he explained, because when the time will come for the Geula, when the time will come that I have to redeem the Jewish nation, I don't want them to wait for me to have to rewrap all my bandages. So I wrap one at a time, so that if I have to redeem the Jewish nation, may it be speedily, I will be able to do it in one shot, in one one moment. Anyway, he came to him. According to Rashi, as we said, it was from the person who said us. Why? Why does Mashiach have to suffer from Tsaras?
It's pretty severe. Why would Mashiach have to be suffering from Tzeras? Tzeras is an affliction on the skin of the flesh of a person. It's not a disease on the flesh. According to the Alter Rebbe, a person can only develop Tzeras. Remember now, children, everybody, we all look at the guy with the Tzeras as a very, very wicked man. A person can only develop tzeras, says the Alter Rebbe, when he's eradicated every single deep internal character flaw. And the only spiritual blemishes that he still suffers, this handful of blemishes, are only skin deep. Everything else from within is refined. It's only these little, little tachim ketanim that need to be fixed. Click the download button now oh, to scan for no. out-of-date Windows drivers. Ay, they... Okay. I hope that's going to work. His shortcomings are only superficial. So God afflicts him with a supernatural skin condition. And this prompts him to perfect those slight uncharacteristic imperfections. And therefore the Alter Rebbe says that today's day and age, Saras is virtually non-existent. Because we don't have anybody at that level so, so perfect that all they need is this little imperfection to be fixed, and this is how Hashem is going to relay the message to them. Accordingly, now we understand why the Gemara says Mashiach is somebody suffering from Tzadas. Mashiach's condition reflects on Klal Yisrael in the final days of our Golas, of our exile. Over the generations, the Jewish nation has unfortunately been refined in its own way. We were refined through a holocaust. We were refined through an inquisition. We were refined through the Iron Curtain. We've paid our price many times over in this final Golas. And therefore... The Mashiach of the generation is but lacking this ultimate refinement. The generation itself is but lacking this ultimate refinement of putting body and soul, putting together these imperfections, which are now only external. So the Nisham of Mashiach, the Nisham of the Mashiach and the Jewish people is comparable therefore to a Metzedah. For his deficiencies are only slight. And it's therefore 
that we can rely. Uh, therefore, that Mashiach is in the guise of a Mitzayda, telling us that our only last few things that we need to fix, the last few touch-ups that need to be taken care of, that need to be mended for the ultimate redemption, which will be tonight, where we all go to Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim. Interesting, I told this story before, which I had read it somewhere else, and it piqued my curiosity at the time. I don't remember if I recorded it actually on a sheer live, or if I told it by a Fabrengen, but I got it today again via the wonderful world of WhatsApp. And I figure it has a message for us all. The way this person tells the story is in Tel Aviv, a group of taxi drivers have an evening gathering, a little fabrengen, shall we say, after the day's work. Now, you got to understand, there's, of course, different jobs that people have. And you get different trinkets and different things worth discussing. Sometimes preschool teachers will get together and discuss the beautiful things in the mouth of babes. What the little children said, how they said, what they said. Then you have, of course, the uh, dentist guild that gets together every evening and they discuss all the conversations they had with their patients. Imagine, of course, the conversations between the patient and the dentist. The dentist says, so what do you do for a living? And the patient answers, etc. So that must be very interesting, all the conversations that the dentist shares with his patients. But the taxi drivers... I knew this was going to happen again. One of the slums. Stop. Turn this thing off. Okay. So the taxi drivers were together, they were talking and discussing, and this particular taxi driver got up and he said, I have a very interesting story to tell you guys today. Click the download button now. Oh, yeah, come on, let's I got into my taxi, and this fancy-looking guy flags me down. So I pick him up, and he asks to go to a particular street. Very well-dressed fellow. You can see everything on this guy is high class. And um, we talked, like all of the taxi drivers do. And uh, he's smoking a very fine cigar. A very expensive cigar. I could tell from the smell. I'm a little connoisseur, he says, in cigars. I can tell this is one expensive cigar. 
And then he takes out a lighter that's worth almost more than my car. He lights his, he asks me, can he smoke this? And I said, sure. So in the meantime, I take out my cigarette. If he's going to smoke, then he obviously doesn't mind the smoke in the car. I take out my cigarette, and I start to smoke my, I take out my cigarette to smoke my cigarette. But as I reach to light my cigarette, he says, no, 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 let me light it for you. And he takes his fancy Zippo lighter and he lights the cigarette for me. And he leaned over to the front of my car to light my cigarette. I noticed a number on his arm. It was a number from the concentration camps. I was very, very in awe. And as I noticed his number, it clicked. He says, let me tell you my story, he says, before I continue what happened to this man. He says, my story is, I was a child in a kibbutz, born to in a kibbutz, a non-religious kibbutz. And of course, the kibbutz life was a kibbutz life, where there was whatever you did, everybody had their own jobs and tasks. And one day, I didn't make it very, I'm going to fast forward, because not much time. One day, um, I was supposed to be doing the uh, potatoes. And they had a machine for the potatoes. You dropped all the potatoes into it and cut it up. I mean, everything. everybody ate together. There's a communal kitchen in the kibbutz. So I put in my potatoes, and I was putting there, and I wasn't feeling much. So I left the kitchen earlier so I can finish my job, so I can go to, red, to, best, to bed. And I slipped and fell into the machine. And I fell onto the potatoes, and I said, Oh no, I can't get out. I'm going to end up in the blades. I'm screaming and screaming, but everybody's in the dining hall. Nobody hears me. Finally, on the last possible minute, a hand comes down from the top and he pulls me out. And I saw on the hand a number. It was Shimon. Shimon is a survivor from the Holocaust. Everybody knew him. But he didn't speak to anybody. He never spoke. He was very bitter after the war. He did what he had to do and he went further. And Shimon saved my life and I noticed the numbers on his arm. I went to battle in the army as I grew up. The first two numbers on my ID were the first two numbers on Shimon's arm. Then he says another era of his life where they also had numbers. I don't remember clearly if it was Tudat Zahut or something. And the middle three numbers were the middle three numbers on Shimon's arm. And then a third time that he had up his numbers of some sort, and the last two digits were again the last two digits of Shimon's arm. So he remembered those numbers very, very well. Anyway, he saw the numbers on this fellow's arm. This fellow that's bemoaning that his whole family was wiped out. <coughs> he locked the doors of his taxi. He made a U-turn, and he went flying. The old man never thought, 
the rich man thought he was being kidnapped. And he's screaming and yelling, stop, let me out, where are you going? He says, I was driving back to the kibbutz that I grew up. I didn't even know if the kibbutz still existed. I definitely didn't know if Shimon was still alive. But I got back to the kibbutz. I pulled in, it looked like yesterday. And I went to Shimon's house and I knocked on the door, hoping and praying, and lo and behold, Shimon standing there, I jumped on him, my benefactor, my lifesaver, and I was crying on his shoulder because I had a message for him. And by this point, my passenger got out of the taxi. And the passenger looked at Shimon, and Shimon looked at my passenger. And they fell on each other's shoulders, the two brothers. So this man's number, my taxi, my passenger, was one numbered last digit, one number different than Shimon's. They were tattooed one after the other. So when he told me that he'd lost everybody and he had a brother and he thought his brother was living in Israel, I realized this was his brother. And the two brothers united once again. Let us quickly go to Pekiyavis. This week, as we said before, is Perik Shani. And we learned a very interesting Mishnah. Hillel is going for a walk. Afhura Gugelis Achash, it's Afal Priyamayim. He saw a skull floating on the water. This is Perik Bez Mishnah Vov, the sixth Mishnah of the second Perik of Pekiyavis. Omar Allah, he said to the skull, Alda teift atfuch, v'seif metaifoyich yitufun. Because you drowned others, they drowned you. And ultimately, those who drowned you will also be drowned. The Chacham tell us, this was the skull of Parai. Pari, the king of Egypt. And was drowned, Suzunt, in punishment for having drowned the Jewish boys in the, in the Nile. And when Hillel saw the Pari skull, he realized this was an extra, extraordinary phenomenon. And he thought it through, and he got this insight. Why did God cause this to happen? The fact that Hillel learned a lesson from the skull, not only learned the lesson, but shared it with others, this enabled the skull to come to its eternal rest after the thousands of years drifting on the waters. And this is what Hillel said to it. Why did he talk to the skull? Because it was what he was saying was a, a statement beneficial to the skull itself. And once the skull communicated its lesson to the world, it had no more purpose, and now it was able to rest. What you do to others will ultimately be done to you, Rahman al 
And therefore one should be very careful how they talk, how they hurt and insult other people. Because chas v'shalom, it comes back to them. Going back a little bit in Saita to yesterday, Daf Yudches, on the, back, on the second side of Yudches in the middle. The Mishnah had stated that Meir Eimer, Amen Shalainit Mesi. She says, Amen, the woman, the Saita says, Amen, that I did not become impure. I did not become defiled. And I will not become defiled in the future. Tanya was in the Braisa, Lake Shamar of Emeir, Amen, Shalei Atami. When Emeir says that she swears and says, Amen, I'll not become defiled in the future, he did not mean that. That if I ever become Shimtitame, if I become defiled, Mayim Beitkin Esamiachshav, the waters are checking me from today. In other words, if the woman was indeed, will indeed one day in the future become defiled and she'll become an adulteress, the fact when she drinks now the water, she's going to be punished for it. That doesn't go, that doesn't work. Ella, Rather, he says, if God forbid this woman does sin later down the line, now this water that she's drinking will come back to bite her, will punish her. Very, very poignant lesson. First of all, although the Almighty knows whether the person is going to sin or not sin, the Almighty does not punish somebody for their future sins. Everyone has an opportunity, everyone has a chance to repent, to do tshuva, or to have and not do the sin to begin with. And therefore, there is no punishment deemed, meted out to a person for something they might commit. Because we have this freedom of choice in our lives. And therefore, as we say, Kisazria is the older Zachar. We need to plant so that the Zachar, the Geula, the redemption should be born, should come about. And may we merit this very Shabbos to be in Yerushalayim, Yerakadish, with Melech HaMashiach, Shabbat Shalom.